We're back in the Psalms of Ascent this morning. We're looking at Psalm 132. Uh, this, we're doing a little series in the, the Psalms of Ascent as we prepare to move into 1 Samuel here in a couple of weeks. Remember uh, what we've uh, understood about these Psalms of Ascent is that they were used and sung by the people of God as they journeyed uh, to Jerusalem, to the temple, to gather in the presence of the Lord uh, for times of worship, for times of uh, a celebration, for the feast days. And if we understand and think about uh, our life as Christians, as we are too are journeying, longing for the time when Christ returns and we are again fully in the presence of our God, then these psalms should inform our living out the Christian life. Uh, the psalms, as they are, are sung and prayed by God's people, are given to us uh, to shape our, our prayers, to shape our thinking, to shape our longings. Uh, and so this morning, that's what we want to do. We want to look at Psalm 132, which is actually the longest of the Psalms of Ascent, uh, and see and how our longings can be brought in conformity to the longings that this psalm would point us to. So if you would, look with me. We're in Psalm 132. Now, if you're following along on one of the black Bibles there, that is on page uh, 519. So follow along with me as we hear from the Word of God. A song of ascents. Remember, O Yahweh, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured, how he swore to Yahweh and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house. Or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for Yahweh, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of Jaar. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Yahweh, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, and let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. Yahweh swore to David a sure oath, from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. For Yahweh has chosen Zion. He has declared it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions, and I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. Let's pray. Father, you know we too often long for and desire uh, the wrong things. Our hearts are chasing after uh, all sorts of other competing desires and passions. And we pray this morning uh, that you would be kind to give us insight into our own hearts and we pray, Holy Spirit, uh, that you would shape and form us, mold and conform us to your word and to the image of Jesus, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. The 
longings that we want to take a look at uh, this morning in this psalm. We're going to look at three of them. Uh, The first is longing for God to be present with his people. Uh, Then we're going to look and see how this psalm would encourage us to long for God's king to rule over his people. And then we'll see how this psalm points us to for God's people, uh, that we would long for God's people to thrive in God's presence under his rule. So first, let's look at how we are called in this psalm to long for God to be present with his people. Look in verses 1 through 5. Remember, O Yahweh, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured, how he swore to Yahweh and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for Yahweh, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. This is pointing back the, the, the singers of this song, psalm, their, their memory back to when David pledged before the Lord that he would build him a temple. Uh, God told him that it wasn't going to be David who built it. It would be later his son Solomon who would. But David went to great lengths to make sure everything was in place for this temple to be constructed, gathering all the building materials, all the precious jewels and metals that would go into it, uh, getting the money that would be in place to do it. Notice, though, the language that this psalm and that David used to talk about and describe this temple. Look in verse 5. Until I find a place for Yahweh, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. It seems that that they're under the impression that, that God would be able to dwell with and live with his people. They're talking about building a house for God to live in, to dwell in. That language continues to come up. Look in verse 6 and 7. Behold, we heard it in Aphrathah. We found it in the fields of Jaar. Let us go to his dwelling place. Again, that language comes up. Let's go to his house. And they say, worship at his footstool, at at the foot of his throne that we would gather in the presence of our God. And in fact, they're bold enough to even pray this in verse 8. Arise, O Yahweh, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Why? Why would they pray this? Solomon later, as he's dedicating the temple once it's constructed, he acknowledges and said, The God that we worship, the God of the Bible, he can't be contained in a house, in a building. Heaven in the highest heavens couldn't contain the glory and the greatness of this God. Why? Why then pray? Why even think that this is possible? Not just that. Why would he even want to dwell with us? A people that has rebelled against him. Those who, from our beginnings, humanity has said, we don't want you in our presence. We would prefer to live our lives our own way, thank you very much. Yet we see God continuing to pursue us, 
What motivates this? What motivates this desire, the longings of this people? That he would dwell in their midst, that he would live with them, that they could have confidence that they could go and meet him. Well, it's his promises. It's, in fact, God's longings and desires that shape and form their prayers and their response. Look in, look in verse 13. For Yahweh has chosen Zion. That's another language used uh, sometimes in the Psalms to uh, talk about Jerusalem. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell for I have desired it. God is saying to his people, the reason why you can pray and ask me to come into your midst, the reason why building a temple and me living and dwelling with you is even possible is because I want to. I desire and delight to be in the presence of my people and to dwell with you. The eternal God who made all things dwelling with his people. But that's what we've seen throughout the scriptures. That even in our rebellion, God pursues and comes after his people. Think about this. When God brought the people of Israel out of Egypt and they're wandering around in the wilderness. You know where they came to worship him? In a tent. A tent, a tabernacle, which was described as what? The dwelling place of God. The creator of all things said, I want to be in your midst so much that as long as you're traveling around and you're having to tear down your house and, and put it together and haul it somewhere else and then erect it again, that's the way I'm going to go and move around too. My house will be a tent. Because I am going to be with you wherever you go. Because you are my people. I am your God. I have redeemed and I have saved you. Who is this God? But then later, when they finally are settled down in the promised land that he gives them, and they have peace on all sides brought through God's working through David, that God says, yes, now you can build me a permanent home that will not be torn have to be taken down and erected every time we move because I've brought you peace and safety here and I am going to dwell in your midst. God is constantly wanting to direct and point his people to his grace and to his mercy. How can a, a sinful people live in the presence of a holy and righteous God? It's because of his grace and his mercy. It's because he comes to you and he provides sacrifices as a provision for your sin. Who, what kind of God is this that we serve? What kind of God is this that would pursue and save and redeem us and want to dwell and live in our midst? What about us? Should we still long for this? Should this psalm shape our longings and our desires too? Well, actually, more so. Because how much more have we seen the grace and mercy in the extent to which God would go to dwell with and be in the presence of his people? As the New Testament comes around, God says, it's not going to be a temple anymore. I'm going to take on a different kind of tabernacle. It's 
going to be flesh. I am going to become a man and dwell in your midst. That's Jesus, the true temple. All that these Old Testament things were pointing to, God now comes into the midst of his people as a man. I love you. I want to be with you. And I am going to do what is necessary to secure this relationship and restore you to how I created humanity to begin with. Jesus is the true temple. What about now? As the exalted and risen King and Lord, we don't need to travel to a certain geographic location to meet and gather in the presence of the Lord. The New Testament tells us that individually the Holy Spirit dwells in us. We are temples. But more so the picture that we get is that we collectively, the people of God, the worldwide, multi-ethnic, national people of God is the dwelling place of God. No matter where we gather, you can meet God and gather into his presence his special presence here in Elizabeth City right now. We are the temple of the living God. Do you long for that? Do you long and look forward to and anticipate and delight in, like the people say here, let us go to his dwelling place each week, each Sabbath when we gather? Or do you take it for granted? A friend of mine in Clemson is from Houston. His dad worked for an exploration agency called NASA. And his dad was an astronaut. He came to Clemson, and he let that just drop casually in conversation one day. And I was like, what? Your dad's an astronaut? And he's like, yeah, I mean, he's been to space a couple of times. What? He's been to space? When is this guy coming to town? Because I need to meet him. I want to talk to your dad. And he, he, he couldn't understand why it was such a big deal. It's like all of his friends' dads were astronauts. Everywhere they walk around in Houston, apparently, just spacemen walking everywhere. It was no big deal for him. He even told us about one time his dad was on the International Space Station called them to talk, and they didn't answer the phone. His dad had to leave a message on the answer machine. Hello, it's your dad. I'm calling from space. You think, why, why would you do that? Do you realize there's one greater than a father astronaut who gathers you in his presence week in and week out and speaks to you? through his word, reminds you that you are his people, that he loves you, and that he wants to dwell in your midst. What a privilege. What a privilege. Do we long for this? Because we haven't seen the best of it yet. We are right now are experiencing all that, more than they could experience in the Old Testament. They would long to experience what you and I are experiencing now. But look at what it, it tells us in Revelation 21, in verse 15. 
This is John with a vision of the new heavens and the new earth that Jesus is restoring and renewing all things. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. Going into verse 16. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with its, his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. Now we might think, all right, what are these measurements all about? But for the original readers, they would have understood that the, uh, the architectural measurements of something that was a cube was one place in the temple. It was the Holy of Holies. The dwelling place of God, His footstool, His throne room, that only one priest could go in once a year. But what this is telling us is that the city that's coming down is, is picturing the renewal of the entire earth. The special dwelling place of God will not just be among His people when we gather. It will be everywhere all over this entire planet when Jesus is done with his work. Are you longing for that? Are you hoping for that? Are you praying for that? Like John does at the end of Revelation, come quickly, Lord Jesus. This is what this psalm would encourage us as God's people to be longing for, to be hoping in. Longing for God to be present with his people. But he also, in this psalm, it's directing us to long for God's king to rule over his people. Look in verse 10. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. Here, it's talking about the anointed one, uh, the, 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 the king. This prayer would have been one that uh, the people are praying for God's favor, for his blessing on the king, for his kingdom to be established, for his power and his authority to grow, and the expanse of his kingdom to extend out. Uh, but, but they're not just praying and longing for this Davidic king's kingdom to expand because overlapping with that is the kingdom of God because remember God dwells with his people and it's through the, 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 the spread and the expanse of the good news and the message of the rule and the reign of the, the one true and living God and the true king of the world that blessing will come from the nations they're hoping and longing for this king to be on the throne that the Gentiles would come in and that God's kingdom and his glory would expand, expand and, uh, and grow. So they're praying this prayer. They're singing this song. But they even sang this song when there was no Davidic heir on the throne. In the midst of their rebellion, God's judged his people to purify them. The temple was destroyed. The palace torn down. Another nation ruled over God's people. When they came back, no Davidic heir on the throne. For hundreds of years, from the return of the exile on, no Davidic king ruled. And yet they continued to pray. Do not turn your face away from the Davidic king. Establish his kingdom. Bring him into our midst. 
why would they pray this? Why would they pray when it looked like there was no hope that God had abandoned his promise? Because again, they go back to God's word, to his promises. Look in verse 11 and 12. What undergirds and motivates this longing, this prayer? It's God's promises. Yahweh swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. Notice, this is, as we would sing this or pray this, it's drawing our attention back to the sure word of God. What did God do? He swore. He's given this oath, not just any oath, a sure oath, and it continues to go on, from which he will not turn back. Remember, God is trustworthy. He will keep his promises. There will always be an heir of David. The time will come where he will sit on the throne forever and there will never be an end to his rule. And it will be one that descends from David's body, a physical heir of David. Look, as they continue to go on, even if it looks like that the, 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 the kingdom and the, the dynasty of David is reduced to a stump, the hope is that a sprout would grow. Look in verse 17. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. As we go into the New Testament, it is this longing, this hope for the Davidic king to come. When no uh, person who, had, uh, who was related to David was ruling, uh, Rome was in control, and Herod, who wasn't, from Judah and wasn't from the tribe of David at all, was ruling as king. Yet listen to what Zechariah prays when the announcement comes that his son John is going to prepare the way for the promised one, the anointed one. That language, Messiah, Christ, has arrived and is coming. In Luke 1, verse 67 and 68, And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Who is this heir? Who is this horn that we're hoping for? It's Jesus. And in fact, Jesus uses that same language to talk and describe uh, himself over in Revelation 11. He says this. Um, uh, in verse 15, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And then they continue to go on. We give thanks to you, Lord Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came and the time for the dead to be judged, for the rewarding of your servants and the prophets, those who fear your name, both small and great, and for the destroying of the destroyers on the earth. 
Jesus is talking about his rule and his reign being one that is eternal and that will never end. And in in chapter 22, Jesus says this, I've sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. Here, Jesus, God the Son, would describe himself as being a, a descendant, a physical descendant of David? The eternal God, Jesus, through whom and for whom all things came into existence, says, I am calling myself a descendant of David, the creator, the rightful ruler of everything, becomes a creature. Why? Because the only way for God's rule to be fully established is through the faithful one who would come. And as we are are praying and longing for this, what we're acknowledging is that we're longing for Jesus' rule and his reign to come. But in order to do that, we have to acknowledge we need a king. We have to acknowledge and say, I am not the king. I am not the Christ. I am not the anointed one. You are not meant to rule over yourself. You are not meant to save yourself. You need a king. There's a whole book of the Old Testament that drives this point home. The book of Judges. At that time in Israel, there was no king and the people did what was right in their own eyes. But when the king finally comes, the purpose of his role is to subdue the people to himself and to the God who has redeemed and saved them. Are you hoping and resting and trusting in Jesus as your king? Are you longing for him to come? For his kingdom to be established? Do you recognize that you need a deliverer and a savior to defeat all his enemies and yours, and that that will only happen through God taking on flesh and coming to rule and redeem and save and deliver you? Come, come, Lord Jesus, should be our prayer. But also, we as God's people who live now under the rule and reign of Christ, who sits now on the throne, we should live out the truth and realities of his kingdom, of his priority, of his values, everywhere you go, school, work, family, because we are part of his kingdom. We are citizens of his rule and his reign. But we're called to long for God to be present with his people. We're called to long for God's king to rule over his people. And lastly, We're called to long for God's people to thrive in his presence and under his rule. Look in verse 9. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. Uh, Here, uh, they're they're praying and they're longing that, that God's goodness that his righteousness would be demonstrated through, through their priests, through their leaders, through their mediators. And that the result of that is the people guided and directed and pointed to the grace and mercy of their God who is present with them, responding appropriately when they recognize and realize a holy God is in our midst, that that's when the people thrive. That is when they shout with joy 
as they experience the fullness of their relationship with their God. Look as it continues to go on what God promises in verse 14. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will supply her poor with bread. Her priest I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. That is what God promises. That when God is present with his people, when God's king is ruling on the throne, God's people thrive. Again, look back at the book of Judges. There's not a person thriving in that book. By the time you get to the end of it, the people of Israel look more like Sodom and Gomorrah. They actually look worse than Sodom and Gomorrah than even Sodom and Gomorrah did. It's a wreck. It's a travesty. What is needed and the way that God's people thrive is when they're delighting and they're in the presence of their God and they're, they're rejoicing and they're delighting under the rule of our King. Look, look over in Revelation 7 as Jesus himself drives this home in the revelation that he gives to John. Verse 13 of chapter 7 in Revelation. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Again, think, righteousness, clothed in salvation. We're seeing this picture of what is going to be true of God's people. Then look at what he goes on to say. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They will hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb is in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to the springs of living water and will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is what our hope is. This is what our longing is. This is actually what reality will be when Jesus returns. But do you know we don't have to wait until then to begin to experience this now? What did we see in the psalm last week? When are you comforted? When are you quieted? When you're resting and depending on yourself? Or is it when you recognize the presence of your good and gracious God who is with you? who is caring for you, who is ruling and who is reigning and who is victorious. It's in his rule and reign and presence that we thrive and experience fullness of life. Do you know this king? Do you know this Jesus? Do you know this God who is gracious enough to take on flesh, to enter into our world, that you could be restored to a relationship with him? This is what we are longing for. Longing for the presence of our God, longing for the rule of God's king, and longing for God's people to thrive in his presence and under his rule. This is the good news and the message of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the gospel is true. We thank you that you are with us. We thank you that Jesus is the true king, demonstrated and shown to be so through his resurrection and ascension. Uh, we pray that you would continue to point and draw our hearts to you more and more. Shape our longings to be like yours. In Christ's name, amen.